Hey, welcome back to the uh, the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I, I'm really happy to have my good friend Paul Lang with me. Paul is uh, one of the more more accomplished aviation attorneys. Uh, he does a lot of work out of his offices up in uh, Connecticut. Uh, he's a pilot. He's been around for a long time. And uh, I'm just happy to have you here, Paul. Thank you. Well, good morning, Craig. Thanks very much for having me. I, I very much appreciate it. And uh, it's great seeing you. Good seeing you as well, too. So, hey, we, we got a fun topic today. We were talking about this in Miami a couple of weeks ago. It's all revolving around, you know, we were, you know, I was reading the headlines around SkyWest Airlines charters and JSX Airways and the big dust up between American and JSS, JSX and SkyWest. And, you know, and, and, and the industry is changing pretty dramatically. But this is a really interesting topic. It it absolutely is. It's it's fascinating. There there are you know all sorts of political and policy implications and arguments about whether or not it's truly about safety or even consumer protection. And you know when you think about this, FAA's jurisdictional mandate is about safety. That's it. DOT is about protecting the consumer's pocketbooks, consumer protection the economic authority. That's where there's this messy overlap that is driven by politics on issues of the 1,500-hour rule for pilots, which is how you get these strange bedfellows together against oh, yeah. the Part 380 industry. You actually have the uh, a couple of major airlines led by Amer American and Southwest, very clearly in lockstep with Alpa is lead on that. But it's uh, it's basically all the unions who signed on to the comments made by American and Southwest. So just give some people some background. JSX Airways become very successful little airline flying ERJ 135s and 145s. Correct. And it's flying them primarily out of FBOs mm -hmm. on realistically scheduled charter. But you know, you've got what 25, 30, 35 seats on their airplanes, 40 seats on their airplanes. It's 30 seats because 30 that's, seats. that's the jurisdictional limit. So you actually take out some seats. If you if you go and you buy some surplus airline 135s or 145s, and um, a number of years ago, there were a bunch of those sitting in the desert. Right. So they were they were purchased, and then CNL up in Maine made this great business out of refurbishing these airplanes that were otherwise pickled in the desert. Right. And they put first class seats in them, updated avionics, things like that, and created this neat little business for thirty seats or less. Mm -hmm. And then you got SkyWest. So, charters they want to come along and do the same thing and a lot of it is you know a lot of it hey one it's it's a pretty creative business mm -hmm. but two you have 30 seats or less you're circumventing the 1500 hour pilot rule Am I correct in that, that assumption there there are differing requirements for part 135 on demand which is what this is in the public charter than there are for 121 primarily for first officers and so therein lies one challenge. But when you talk about a creative business model, what's especially interesting is that 
of the immense number of public comments. So when I checked the Federal Register yesterday, so let, let me take a step back. SkyWest Charters Economic Authority application for commuter authority has 107 comments on that specific application. Where the issue really comes to head is this summer, August 24th of this year, when the FAA issued its notice of intent to uh, initiate rulemaking on these issues. That's the one where, as of yesterday, there were 59,926 comments from the public. Wow. I could not find a single, when I ran searches on anything that had to do with a safety organization, zero results every time. Nothing with air safety, safety, anything of any kind. I couldn't even randomly paging through and paging through. I could not find a single application in support of changing the rule, basically in support of the big airlines and the unions. Of particular interest is that the opposition to the, the Part 380 model by ALPA, it's principally led by ALPA and American. Those were most of the comments and okay. most of the pleadings are filed in the docket. I mean, they're, they're legal pleadings, okay? Yeah. But Southwest issued a letter, it's a couple, I think in, in October, in support of what American, you know, has Americans' comments and called it a growing number of comments filed in support of American and ALPA's claims that this is improper. And their footnote listed four unions. That was the growing number as against over 59,000. And what struck me and that was, was really interesting was the number of small communities in this country who wrote comments in among those 59,000 plus wrote comments in support of part 380. Mm -hmm. So among the first ones that were the most prominent were Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, who said, American Airlines left us and we don't have any air service, but for one of these part 380 operators. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have any air service whatsoever. And then you start going, looking down this list And it was, you know, there there are small town names in this country that I haven't heard of since grade school geography. And there's page after page after page after page of these comments. And it doesn't even look like they were canned comments that came from an industry organization. Right. Many of them were different. So I had heard this argument, but I was... I was really surprised how meaningful this is to small town America and how many small towns in America there truly are. I, I mean, yes, we need air service. Yeah. That's the whole, yeah, that's the whole thing. You think about, you know, like I lived in Lewisburg, West Virginia. You know, Lewisburg's an hour and a half from Roanoke. Had a 7,500 foot runway and 
couple of beach 1900s flew in, but no, nobody's there anymore. You know, you think about small town America, what JSX is doing or what Sky, Sky West has the potential of doing. Yeah, you know, I, I think I just get generally cynical about, you know, like the pilots unions are the pilots unions. Right. You know, they're there. They're there for a reason. And, you know, like they're, they're there to support their their members who are the pilots. So I, I don't know if you saw um, today's press yet, today's industry press. There there was actually overnight uh, Reuters was reporting that there may actually be a deal in the Senate on taking up the FAA reauthorization bill, which is focused on the 1500 hour rule. And it was announced by Republican John Thune with comments from Democrat Maria Cantwell, chair of the, the Commerce Committee, saying, I haven't read it yet, but there may be a deal here. And part of Thune's comments, uh, I, I don't have them memorized, but it was it was essentially that we may have a deal to address these concerns including through state-of-the-art technology. So part of the issue that they're focused on to address the 1,500-hour rule is how do you actually get folks in the pipeline who are not millionaires when they're 17 years old to be able to buy 1,500 hours worth of flight time? Right, for a $100,000 job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so then... You've actually got technology out there now, not only with the Redbird simulators who've been out there for, you know, probably in their prime for at least 20 years, but you now have these, there, there's, there's a company in Switzerland that has VR headsets set up for training where they have actually proven they've gotten some EASA approval where the concept is, bring down the cost of training, make it better training. If, you know, what what was the meaning of 1,500 hours? You want a safe, well-trained pilot, which everyone does. Mm -hmm. And the challenges now are the cost to getting there, the time that it takes to get there, and the pool of people who are able to do that. And mm -hmm. that is becoming more and more of a challenge. But if you actually allow things like VR headsets, the current level of Redbird simulators, granted, that's not flight safety or simuflight, uh, not quite at that level. But if you allow at least some time to be applied to 1,500 hours, you don't even need to lower the number. You can mm -hmm. still make progress on that. And what really strikes me as, as odd, though, and how political it is, is you have Congress looking at hours of experience for an ATP certificate, which, for the most part, it has never done before. You're supposed to leave that to the expert agencies who know and understand their business. Right. In this case, safety. It shouldn't be legislated at that level, but that's right. how much of a hot-button issue it truly is around this large dispute between, you know, the unions, ALPA in particular, saying mm -hmm. there's no pilot shortage and every pilot should have a minimum of 1,500 hours to get in the cockpit. The military has forever put 300-hour pilots 
in airplanes that are even in the right seat of transport category airplanes. Oh, yeah. That are even bigger. And it's worked just fine. You and I have an affinity for the E2 Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Our first nugget, yeah, our first tour nugget pilots on the carrier, 300, 350 hour total time pilots, you know, landing, you know, landing on an aircraft carrier safely. They're well trained. They were highly trained. You know, you're like, all right, 350 hour pilot. And by the time they're done with their first carrier tour, they're, you're a thousand hour pilots. They still don't meet the. Right. They still don't meet the uh, the FAA, you know, the the the, the men's. Right. Um, but they've got 300 hours. They got 300 traps on an aircraft carrier, and they've flown all sorts of weather. And you know, it's it's amazing to me what it's amazing to me what you can do when and how, what you can train to. Right. So I I think those are some of the the challenges, and and I can tell you that Alpa, you know, has has done a, a very persuasive job in their briefs. They've taken the argument as far as they uh, possibly can in support of their members. But I, you know, I think that there was there was a really interesting uh, earnings call, American Airlines earnings call. I think it was October seventeenth that was reported on in uh, a publication called View from the Wing, where at the end of the recorded earnings call. Americans CEO and and his leadership team opened it up for questions from from employees and the last question was about this issue of Americans going after JSX who essentially is a neighbor you know because they're all based in Dallas right yeah exactly and the the answers from both American CEO and their head of government affairs talked about competition, competition, competition. And they said, whenever we see competition, we will seek to eliminate that competition. Not a single word about safety right. anywhere in those comments. And it's it's all about choice. And the other the other fun quote that came out of that article was another Texas reference and back in history. So Boris Yeltsin comes to the United States on a tour and ends up in Texas. And he sees a local Texas supermarket and he sees all the, everything on the shelves, full shelves and people just leisurely walking around and buying whatever they wanted or, or needed. And he says to his entourage there, that if the average everyday Russian who stands on line for every single necessity ever saw this, there'd be a revolution. Yep. And that's what the arguments in favor of the majors and the unions, they want everything to look like American Airlines at its fortress hubs, any of the majors, so that other folks like Scotts Bluff, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, and any of the other small towns who lost their air service because the likes of American either didn't want to serve them, couldn't afford to serve them, didn't have the pilots, but whoever pulled out that 
the arguments in support on behalf of these unions and the and their, the the major carriers are we don't want to provide any of that choice to the American public. Yeah, sure. We, we want you to to you know have a model. The only model available to you is American Airlines at Americans Fortress Hubs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you look, you got companies like JSX, SetJet is about ready to IPO, I think, or they're they're doing something. Blade, SkyWest is trying to get in on it. Basically, you know, look, they're 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 trying to contour, arrow. Contour, they're trying to take the suck out of flying Mm -hmm. for a lot of, you know, a lot of communities. I mean, let's just call it let's just call a spade a spade. We're trying to take the suck out of flying. But in addition, the I think the irony of of a lot of this is American Airlines is reported to have 998 aircraft. JSX has 47. Right. Where they're limited to 30 seats. Right. And American claims that JSX is a competitive threat to them, even though they're flying to places that American doesn't fly to. Some of them overlap. But it's a completely different business model that a certain segment of the public loves. And there hasn't been a single reported accident, incident. Nothing. You would think that if in all of this, all of the public comments, that if there was some true evidence of a safety issue, somebody would have dug it up. There is not. None of them is identified in any of the comments. What they talk about is they try and distinguish in what they call a single level of safety, which is then virtually an insult to FAA and TSA by saying that neither FAA nor TSA can keep the American public safe because they actually adapt to different scenarios because not everybody is American Southwest or, or you know, I mean, those those are the two who've made all the comments and pushed this. That's mm-hmm. that, that's why I'm naming them because they've actually briefed the issues and commented. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a David, true David and Goliath story. But like I said, I get really skeptical about the pilots' unions. When I I worked at Bombardier and I ended up in San Diego one day, and an old Airwing friend, yeah, had just taken a job with American. And he heard I worked for Bombardier, and his outrage was, you know, was mighty. You know, you're putting me out. Of, you're working to put me out of a job. You guys are making those regional jets, you know, whatever. Like, you know, hey, look, Bombardier employs, you know, 10,000 people, too. Uh, right. You know, those jobs are important, you know, and they do it in Wichita. Right. Um, you know, those jobs are important, too. So it's always a. It's always interesting to see the, the the perspective, and I think that's the ultimate thing is you got to put it. You know, like the unions are there to protect the unions; they want to see their forty percent pay raises. You know, my personal opinion is that the pilot shortage may be coming to an end. As you know, I was talking to somebody in the cargo market, and cargo is soft right now. You know, when FedEx goes and encourages seven hundred of their pilots to apply a PSA, there's a shift. Yes, and then UPS followed. Yep. And Frontier stopped hiring pilots. Yeah. And I'm hearing Amerijet, cargo operator out of Miami, is going to do an out-of-court 
chapter 11 refile you know uh, they're going to they're going to file and do a out of court you know, restructure you know there you go so all of a sudden now that you know, that that big and and then i worry about you know realistically i look at you know kind of water going through a pipe mm-hmm. you know, the airlines have had massive amounts of hiring they're going to fill their cockpits here pretty soon um in the next couple of years and then you're going to have this log jam and the log jam is going to be you've got captains and you've got first officers and there's no movement from right seat to left seat. So you're going to have first off. I think you're going to have first officers. You're going to have first officers for the rest of their career. And quite frankly, at the beginning of my career, that's what it looked like. That was one of my choices looking at that versus going to law school. Because I, I saw friends, I was flying with friends who had actually made it to the flight engineer seat on 727s who then got laid off and then were flying with me in a Cessna 402 right. for a while. And then they ended up getting back on after the furlough, which was measured in years. And then they sat as first officers, some of them for decades. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything changes, but it's an it's their economic cycles. And, and that's what you're pointing out. But I think that to that point, looking forward and looking ahead, and when you look at the AAM market and all of the major air carriers' investment in one of the EV toll companies, look at the size of those aircraft, how many seats that they have, and how they're going to be operated, and where they're going to fit within this regulatory structure. They're not going to qualify for part 121. No. And I think that has probably pressed pause on more of the majors jumping on this current bandwagon of part 380 that we're talking about today, because they realize when United has a billion dollar investment in Archer and the Archer aircraft looks probably not all that different than your current commuter category aircraft in terms of weight and passenger carrying capability. I think some, some smart folks internally probably realize, be careful what you wish for here, because if you jump on this bandwagon of trying to wipe out an industry of part 380 and make everything, all the comments that are, that are posted in the briefs by uh, Alpa, the the unions and the the majors all talk about we want a single level of safety above ten seats. Well, most of these EV tolls have ten seats or less, mm-hmm. and they're talking about coming within the next couple of years. And there's going to need to be you know regulatory changes to get them on certificates on the OPSPACs. And then the comments today against Part 380 and trying to make everything a 121 standard above 10 seats will then be inconsistent with those multi-billion dollar investments or what sounds like a billion each. Right, right, right. 
And that's, you know, and ultimately you, you look at the AAM market or the UAM market and you talk about 380. So your, your little town in Nebraska, you've got EV tolls, you got, you, you got EV tolls or AAM taking people to, you know, Omaha, and then right. you can put them on the mainline carrier. You know, they, once again, they shoot themselves in the foot. Like it's all about, you know, right now it's all about, let's just, it's a land grab. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a land grab from the pilot ranks. Look, I don't blame them. I mean, you know, you know, from, you know, I want you know it's it's all about money and lifestyle and making sure you can do the best you know, the best you can in life right and right protecting your turf pilots are the pilots yeah they've yeah they've had a lot of ups and downs they've, they've gotten laid off they they've been you know they they, they worked through 9-11. they worked through the great recession you know it's it's been a it's been a, a choppy ride so if, if if they're at a point now where they can get a little bit right, you know I'm not going to blame them. But I think yeah. on the flip side, I look at the the part 380 stuff that JSX and you know Sedjet and Contour and these guys are doing. I'm like, hey, look, it's kind of an expanding market. You're 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 filling a you're filling a gap. And and that 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 sort of raises the boats, I think. It, you know, that that brings the tide you know, a little higher. Right. And and I think that certainly the the unions and the majors did an effective job of lobbying FAA to to look at this as an issue because you know there are more players but when you look at more players you can count the primary part 380 operators on one hand remember that they are limited by regulation by law to 30 seats so they mm-hmm. can't get any bigger right they can't fly bigger airplanes they can't take more of the market they can't they're pretty limited by law in how much they can expand you know, when you talk about safety, which is the FAA's providence, not economics, mm-hmm. not the economic authority, then, you know, that that's what they're supposed to be looking at, safety. And, and that's where there's tension. There's, there's the real question, is this truly a safety issue or not? And how is it a safety issue when there hasn't been any safety arguments whatsoever, no evidence of safety problems? You know, JSX even talks about, you know, not only do we have the the right training, but they average something like a little over 8,000 hours for uh, of of flight time experience for their captains and just about 4,000 hours for their first officers. In fact, what they they have a recruitment process that is really kind of neat. They actually go to the pilot unions and advertise. When you hit your 65th birthday, if you still want to fly, you can come fly for us. We'd love to have you. There you with go. All of your experience. And they're successful at it. How is that a safety problem? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's one of life's bigger mysteries. Like I said, you know, it's all about, you know, it's been it's been an interesting. It's been it's been an interesting game to watch. Because I see the dialogue, you know, you know, Alex Wilcox has been, you know, very publicly vocal um, against America. Americans been pretty publicly vocal against JSX and and the other com- the other companies. And I guess we're going to see what I guess we're going to see who wins this battle. Yes, it's it's been a very interesting battle, and it's playing out in the FAA re- reauthorization bill because obviously FAA needs money. That's what they want for all their everything else that FAA has to do. They're not just a single issue agency. And, 
I, I think the uh, sort of the the positive note that I'd like to hope for out of this entire mess is that there will be a focus on training and safety at the congressional level where they actually acknowledge that there's ways for you to have better trained pilots. You can have more pilots, better trained pilots, whether it's the use of VR headsets and you count 100 hours based on the VR headsets and then 100 hours on a Redbird simulator, you know, or whatever the numbers end up being. But you can actually do pretty well, just like many of us do, you know, nowadays with all the software on our iPads, where, you know, even for little GA airplanes now, you can monitor your engine parameters, like 38 engine parameters after every flight and look and see what you did. You can get you know, your four flight, even, even without any add-ons, your four yep. flight's going to record your flight and Cloud Ahoy then looks over your shoulder and grades you and goes and, and allows you to look down at every individual phase of flight to then say, am I a safe pilot? And what did I do right? What did I do wrong? They're the after action reviews yep. of every flight that you can do yourself. And that's available today. For your average, you know, for like a couple of hundred bucks a year. And just acknowledging that and bringing that into the training realm, I think is going to, to my mind, notwithstanding all the policy and political challenges that we've talked about, I'd like to see in the end, and I believe in the end, that we will end up with better trained pilots because it's going to force the ability to look at new and different training scenarios that are more effective and achievable. I yeah, I, I've been I've been you know on this dialogue little thread on LinkedIn about you know Navy pilot training and you know cost benefit analysis of and 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 I think what it all comes down to and that's kind of irrelevant, but what it comes down to is the technology and the capability is moving much faster than the airlines or the FAA. And, and, that, and that's that becomes the struggle is because you've got level D simulators now, which are phenomenal. They've been around for a long time. They're phenomenal. Convincing the public that, you know, having somebody train 50 hours a year in a level D simulator or whatever is just as effective as having them fly an aircraft for 50 hours. That you know, it's that's that it becomes a bureaucratic. It's it's the obvious. You know, who's convincing who here, right? You know, it's right. it's it's lack of a little bit of lack of trust in the advancement of technology, and a lot of you know lack of trust in how's this going to affect us downstream and mm -hmm. whatever. So everything moves a little slower, right? So in the meantime, I guess we're going to see who wins the battle. Ultimately, there will be an FAA reauthorization bill that's passed at some point. I'm pleased to at least have read this morning that, you know, there was at least discussion in the Senate. And I think it, it you know, hopefully then tees everything up for, uh, you know, some further discussions. Guardedly optimistic that something actually happens in January. Do you think 1,500 hours ever goes away? I, I think logically, yes, it does. I think in ways and places, because 
to, to follow the logic to its conclusion of the arguments by uh, the, the air carriers and the major air carriers and the unions is that they, they seek a, what they call a single level of safety for 10 seats and up, which means that whether your airframe is an Embraer 135 or the equivalent Embraer executive jet that essentially 135 on demand would be wiped out, that everything would have to be 121. And for a complete rewrite to, to give the, these, these airlines and unions what they seek, completely wipes out on-demand air charter, which has its own unique needs and a safety level to match. And that's why part 119 was put into existence, you know, way back like 1995, you know, or so to, to create one level of safety between, you know, for all air carriers, whether they be 135 or 121. So they took the commonalities and put them together. And then where there were differences, where the things like on demand can be harder in a lot of places. Sure. They actually focused rules to address those specific, those safety problems that are specific to on-demand operations that you don't have in 121. And to make sure that 121's challenges, the ones specific to 121's, the majors, are going to be addressed in 121 because that's not, it's not applicable to 135. So there already is a, a single standard of safety and in fact, targeted enhanced safety for the type of operation. And that's what exists in the rules right now. And I think that going forward, I, I don't think that you're going to see a complete wipeout of either the entire part 380 industry or given the, the majors and unions everything they want because that would wipe out 135 on demand. It would it would take a look at the Part 91 operations in heavy jets that mm -hmm. look like regional airliners, the Embraers, the, the Bombardier, you know, aircraft that whether they be Part 135 on demand or Part 91, and a lot of them are hybrid, as you know, you know, 91 trips, and then when when owner's not using it, it's off on the 135 certificate. All of that would go away. How is that any less safe than what there is now? You know, where this this issue of the 1500 hour rule for first officers is is in question. And I I don't think there's a I haven't seen a good answer to that one. Yeah, no, I mean there's a lot like there's a lot of things to me that don't make don't make sense. Why can some Embraer, why can the Embraer, why can the Phenom 300 be flown a single pilot because it weighs less than, you know, 10,000 pounds when a Lear 45 has to, you know, be two, they're, they're both flying the same airspeeds they are coming over the numbers at the same, you know, approach speeds. I, I wouldn't even get into that, but there's a lot of, there's just a lot of stuff out there. that makes no sense to me. And yep. making and laws is messy. And then I look at the 135 world and I'm like, oh, man, a lot of these charter operators, you know, the, the BizJet. Part 135 guys, yeah, they're they've got their hands full. Yeah, you're you've got pilots flying from you know, Paducah, Kentucky. They've never seen Paducah, and then they go land in you know Lincoln, Nebraska, and they've never been to Lincoln either. And you know, versus 
Southwest Dallas to Houston 10 times a day. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just different. It's and, different. and you've got to address, and the, the, the regs currently do address the safety challenges with those differences. It's complicated, as they say. Yes. It's complicated. But that's what keeps life interesting, right? For us, that's what keeps us in business, right? And we still get to play with airplanes every day. There you go. I love it. Hey, Paul, thanks for coming on and talking about this today. Sure. Love the conversation. All right. This was great. It was fun. How do people get a hold of you? Our number is 203-375-7724. Our website is lopal.com. Stands for Law Offices of Paul A. Lang, just the initials there. So uh, we'd we'd love to hear from you. Paul is the man in aviation. Always love these conversations with you, Paul. Thank you. All right. You have a good day, Craig. Talk soon. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.